And we have a new one just on how to understand margin of error. And I was expecting those not to do very well because they're really dry topics. But I mean, those are the kind of things that, that people are really responding to and sharing on social media. Journalists know a little bit about a lot of things, but we don't know everything. Never fear. There's a free resource out there to help journalists bone up on the latest data on a variety of subjects. I'm Michael O'Connell, and this is It's All Journalism. Carmen Nobel is the program director of Journalist Resource, which originates at the Shorenstein Center of Media, Politics, and Public Policy at the Harvard Kennedy School. Welcome to the podcast, Carmen. Thank you. Well, you know, one of the things I like to do with these interviews, especially people who, who work at foundations and, and associations and, and various things like that, non-traditional sort of journalism roles, is sort of to talk about your journalist journey. How did you end up at the Harvard Kennedy School Shorenstein Center? I started out as a journalist. Basically, I, I majored in English at Tufts University and decided if I wanted to be a teacher or a writer. And journalism seemed like something in between, and it allowed for both. So my first job in journalism was as an editorial assistant at a magazine called The Winged M at the Multnomah Athletic Club in Portland, Oregon. And I still wasn't sure if I wanted to be a journalist, but I was assigned a story to write about security in the club. And what they wanted me to do was give a list of 10 best practices, like don't forget to lock up your tennis racket in your locker. What I ended up doing was hiding out in the parking garage and realizing that when one guard went to lunch, another guard covered the upstairs level of the parking garage and ended up mapping out this very silly investigative story about if you want to break into the athletic club, this is how you do it and this is when you should do it. And my boss laughed at me and said, I think you should probably go to journalism school. And, and so I did. I went to the Northwestern Medill School of Journalism and there was a teacher there, a professor there who really on the idea of trade publications at the time, and I'm, I'm dating myself, but at the time, their path for journalism was either to start out in the community newspaper and work your way up, or to, to go into a trade where you were serving a niche audience, but an audience that would need your, your work more than maybe a general audience would. So I started out at the Air Force Times, writing about the Air Force and sex scandals and plane crashes, and but also really niche data jobs data that, that, that personnel really cared about, but really missed Boston and ended up back in Boston working for a technology magazine called PC Week, which turned into eWeek for a really long time covering wireless technology. I was one of the first to write about Bluetooth, I think, and stay there through the dot-com boom, the dot-com crash, and our newsroom kept shrinking, and I kept not getting laid off, and I thought this is getting to be too much. And I was just kind of waiting to fall all the time. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's a pretty familiar path for a lot of people who've been journalists for the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. But also when I was doing that, I was living in Boston, but traveling all over the country to trade shows and, and visiting various companies. And it was fun, but I felt like I didn't really know my own community. So I freelanced for a while working, doing more fun articles for for the Boston Globe and Boston Magazine and local publications, which afforded the ability to, to write really fun stories, but also get to know Boston. And then, and it was a good time to freelance because a lot of places were laying off employees and relying on freelancers instead. But then the editors who were hiring me kept getting laid off. So I decided it was time to look for a full-time job again. I was at thestreet.com covering 
small business for about a year and a half. That, and that was the Boston Bureau of the Street, which I think no longer exists either. And decided just, just journalism felt really shaky. And honestly, I was looking for an institution that wouldn't go out of business. So somebody said, why don't you look at a job at Harvard? Because Harvard's probably not going to go out of business anytime soon. And I was just looking at the job listings at Harvard and saw a job at Harvard Business School for a publication called Working Knowledge, which I had never heard of, but it turned out to be, and it's still, it's a, it's a great publication. It's a web publication that writes accessible articles for a business practitioner, a business pra- practitioner audience, excuse me, about the research going on at the business school and explaining the relevance of the research to a lay audience. And I just fell in love with the research. I hadn't realized the breadth of research, even just at a business school, let alone what else was going on. And I realized that as a journalist, I hadn't really relied on academic research. And while the audience for working knowledge wasn't journalists, I noticed that every time I, and I was interviewing professors and writing articles about what they did. And every time I did that, I would notice that that research would show up a few days, like not every time, but often the research I would write about would show up in, in the mainstream press and that, that journalists were relying on this resource too. And in the interest of getting more people interested in what we were writing about, I forged some partnerships with Forbes.com and the Atlantic Media's courts, and they were republishing our articles. And I think because of that, the director of the Shorenstein Center on Media Public Media Politics and Public Policy noticed working knowledge. I met him at a cocktail party and we talked and he said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of hiring a program director for journalist resource. And would you apply for that job? And I did. And, and now I'm here. That sounds like a sort of a twisty path, but a sort of a logical path of what your interests were as well as what was going on in journalist, journalism during that, that period. So how would you describe the mission of journalist resource? Okay. So and I've only been here since May. Um, so with that, but so we're a project at the Shorenstein Center at the Harvard Kennedy School. And the main, mission, the main mission is we aim to bridge the gap between journalism and academia. And our primary goal is helping journalists improve their work by relying more on scientific evidence and high-quality peer-reviewed research in their reporting. So at the least, when they set out to cover a topic, especially an unfamiliar topic, we want them to ask the question, what does the research say? and to look at academic findings before they, they set out to cover anything they're going to cover. And that's, I think, really important now because so many reporters are general assignment reporters who, well, in the past, they may have had the luxury and the honor of having a specific beat in so many places, especially with local newspapers and local news outlets. That's not the case. You're covering health one day or the education reporter the next day. So we want to give them a tool to, to quickly inform themselves before they set out to cover anything. And the main, our main focus is running a website, journalistresource.org, that features summaries, roundups, and stories about recent public policy research. So what are some, I mean, you mentioned health, for example, what are some of the topics that this kind of encompasses? It's tough because we're trying to, we're a team of three trying to cover public policy research broadly. And honestly, that covers everything in the world. But in economics, the environment, climate change, immigration, poverty. And what we're finding is our audience is also interested just in the research on journalism itself. So it's mostly public policy topics in the United States, but we also have some resources for international journalists too. 
So the name journalist resource kind of gives you impression it would be about journalism, but is actually a sort of a toolbox for to help journalists sort of get deep dives or, or at least get some initial research to begin their reporting on the on these sometimes complex topics. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it was named by academics who are thinking very literally that we need to build a resource for journalists. So, of course, we would call it journalists' resource. <laughs> so how do you screen for bias in the materials that you add to the resource? You know, why does the resource strive to be as un unbiased in its, in its content? I guess I'll start with the second question. We strive to be unbiased because we want our audience to trust us and we want the general public to trust journalism. The idea and the hope, and I believe this, is that research is by nature based in fact. And ideally, facts are as unbiased as you get there. They are facts. And the research that we feature is always peer-reviewed and well-vetted. But we're also careful to note the limitations of a study, if there are any. And that's something I've noticed, and we've noticed that when journalists do write about a study, that's not something they usually cover. And it's often because the press release coming out of a university about any given study, they want journalists to cover it. So they, they highlight the findings and don't necessarily say that, you know, there are limitations to these findings. So that's in terms of trying to limit bias in research itself. That's what we do. We're, we're honest about this is just one finding of one study. And here are and we talk about the, the general body of research. So I guess just by informing them and by being really specific about what, what the research is and isn't, we, we try to stay unbiased. Yeah, you don't want to oversell it. This is the final answer to whatever this particular topic is. You want to say this is just one report. Exactly. I, I assume you're getting these research reports from academic institutions or did you get them from other places? Primarily that the research is it's published in peer-reviewed journals. So we're getting it straight from the journals themselves. And more often than not, the research is being conducted at academic institutions. But sometimes it'll be conducted at a foundation that does its own academic research or its own scientific research. Okay. You also, part of what you do besides the website is you generate tip sheets. What is your process for, for producing those and, and what type of topics do, you, do those cover? So one kind of tip sheet is tip sheets on how to use research itself. And we're fortunate enough, one of our reporters, our managing editor, was a Pulitzer Prize-nominated education reporter who also loved research and just went out and took PhD-level classes in statistics. So she's amazing, and she, so she knows the issues from both sides, both what journalists do and don't understand as a matter of course, usually, and what they should understand. So some of those are her just generating based on her own knowledge, but we'll also interview, I mean, we're creating journalistic pieces. So we will interview um, academic experts and professors saying, you know, what do you see journalists getting wrong as a matter of course, when they cover your topic and help them, help us help them understand. So I, I was surprised one of our most popular pieces lately is 11 things journalists should ask before covering the results of a public opinion poll. And we have a new one just on how to understand margin of error. And I was expecting those not to do very well because they're really dry topics. But I mean, those are the kind of things that, that people are really responding to and sharing on social media. How does Journalist Resource stay current or ahead of the needs of its audience? You know, how do, I, how do you identify the things that you need to include? Or is it just a matter of stuff coming in over the transom? 
Okay, so to back out, so one one example of a tip sheet we did recently that got great response was 11 questions journalists should ask before reporting the, repo- the results of a public opinion poll. Um, these were questions like, who conducted the poll? So it's important to know whether it was conducted by a polling organization or a single researcher or a non-expert. And, and you'll often see in the press, it'll just be a poll says this. And it doesn't say who conducted the poll. Another question is, did somebody fund this poll? Who paid for it? And that helps you screen for bias. Another question is, what's the margin of error? Um, Another question was, were the participants compensated? So things like this. And we, of the tip sheets that I share on social media lately, that's, this is definitely the one that gets shared the most. And I think it's, it's something that all reporters need to keep in mind. So do you envision yourself or, or the, the journalist resource being a place where people could, you know, request information? You know, I, I can't find any information about this topic. This is becoming a big thing in, in, our, in our community. Can you help me with that? Do you envision things like that happening? No, I mean, we, we try to work journalistically. Again, we're a small team. And we're I'm working on growing us so we can do a better job of this. But we try to, we're, I'm trying to be, and we're trying to be responsive and proactive. So we try to be responsive by following the news trends in local news outlets, online publications, and TV, and then pull together research on those topics and ongoing topics. So one example is the opioid crisis, and that continues to be a topic. We know that journalists are going to be covering that on a day-to-day basis to pull together research on that kind of topic that they can go to the site and, and pull up research that's that's relevant for, for weeks rather than just for one story. Um, but we also talk to reporters at journalism conferences and via social media channels just to find out what topics are blowing up in their own communities. And one example is we, we knew that the opioid crisis was really important, but I, I talked to three different local reporters who said, you know, meth is a huge problem in our community. And we're trying to figure out how to do a better job of covering that. So we pulled together an explainer on meth and how that, that people were actually dying more and more each year of, of meth overdoses and pulling together research on, on that itself. And there was a great response to that. I've recently been become aware of the idea of collaborative journalism, which is like organizations, newspapers, TV stations and radio stations and online publications working together on journalism projects, which I I think is a great trend. And we'd like to be the research desk for those kind of projects. So we're still figuring out how that would work. But um, I've been talking to the heads of various collaborative journalism projects, and they seem excited by that idea. And we'd also, if we can staff up enough to be actually an official responsive research desk for local journalists who don't have research desks of, of their own. And, and most news publications just don't have that anymore. So are you, are you saying that you re, do you require people to source you in some way within the story? If they're linking back to our site, no. I mean, it would be nice if they would do that. So yeah, I'll put it out there. <laughs> we would love it if you're sourcing from journalist resources. If you're if you're linking back to our site that you mentioned us somewhere in the piece, but we don't require that. If you're taking one of our pieces verbatim and republishing it on your site, then yeah, we just require a little note at the bottom saying this this piece first appeared on journalist resource. So what type of feedback have you gotten from journalists? They love it, both in terms of using it just to 
ask what the research says about any given topic, even if they're not going to cite us, they find it at the least very informative. And at most, they, I often hear that they, they find sources through our stories and they find story ideas through our stories or through our tip sheets. Like one idea we recently, I think yesterday, posted a research roundup looking at government shutdown, studies on government shutdowns from the government shutdown of 2013, thinking that, you know, there are going to be long-term effects of this current shutdown. It's too soon to say what those are, but what they, what journalists can do is look at the long-term effects of past shutdowns and inform their current stories that way. I get some fan mail. We don't get a ton of that from individual journalists because everybody's too busy doing their jobs to be telling us how great we are. But we do see we're often cited in newsletters from other journalism organizations. Our our tip sheets are being cited routinely in other journalism newsletters that that they consider us useful. So, so I'm glad you mentioned newsletters because actually that's kind of where I found out about you and the work of uh, Journalist Resource that you put out a, a newsletter. Tell me about that. You know, how do you put that together? Is it all sort of each one themed or is it sort of a, a hodgepodge of the, the different topics that happen to be most current? We have a weekly email newsletter that goes out to right now a subscriber base of about 50,000 people. It's a mix of journalists academics, um, mainly journalism instructors, but also public policy people. We have a lot of lawyers, just anybody who's interested in research findings and doesn't have the time to, to go through academic journals in the course of their workday. The newsletter used to just be links to anything that was new on the site that week. Recently redesigned it to make it a little more narrative. So there's a letter usually from me at the beginning, just talking to our audience and explaining, you know, this is why this is what we decided to cover this week and sometimes posing questions to the audience along with links to recent pieces. Um, and sometimes they're themed uh, leading up to the midterm elections this year. We made a point of each week having a theme on a divisive topic of a topic that we knew that was dividing the electorate. So there was um, one on, Immigration, where every piece that we featured was about immigration. Another one on gun violence, where we featured not only research on gun violence, but we had a tip sheet on gun terminology. You know, if you're writing about guns, you need to know the difference between a bullet and a cartridge. And if you write about, and, and, and we did that because we've noticed that there are a lot of people in the audience who are in, in a journalism audience who don't trust journalists' coverage of guns because they don't think journalists know anything about guns. So that's in, in terms of the tip sheets, and I'll back up, it's we're not just writing tip sheets on how to use research. We're writing tip sheets on various topics just to give journalists more facts on the topics they may be covering and making common mistakes covering, and guns were one of them. So, so you mentioned guns and immigration. What what topics do you see looking looking forward into twenty nineteen? Is to to might be things that you're going to be um, focusing on in the newsletter, focusing on in the website. Immigration definitely. It's, it's hard to say any given day what's going to happen in the government these days. So, for two thousand nineteen, we know that everybody's getting ready to cover the twenty twenty election. So I'm expecting that to be a huge topic, and also 
climate change continues to be a huge topic. Immigration continues to be a huge topic. And we're also looking at the 2020 census and are planning on creating some tip sheets in advance of that to help journalists use census data, both in advance of the census and once it comes out. Yeah, yeah. And and how you report it may influence the way people use that data or people understand that data. Carmen, this has been a great conversation. I recommend that people check out Journalist Resource. Uh, there's a lot of great information there and also sign up for the newsletter. To, you know, find out what the latest tip sheet is, find out what the, the latest research is to help help in your reporting. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Carmen. Right, thank you. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to put together an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Amelia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.